some of the best conversation always comes before we hit the record button. <clears throat> like Matt and I will be going, and we're like deep into flat earth and aliens and all that stuff. No, other Matt. Not this Matt. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, that's... I don't remember that. Because you're the, you're the practical one that believes what's probably actually true. <laughs> I like getting off in the weeds. <clears throat> yeah, everybody has their thing that is fun. Kind of have to get your face right up to that. <clears throat> you have to talk into it? Yeah, I need more. I need those bars. Because it's a microphone? <clears throat> you know those bars that you can kind of move around? Yeah. I need some of those. Those boom stands. Boom stands. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? I uh, am a music teacher at the college, BYU-Idaho. And uh, how long have you been doing that? Oh, about uh, 18 years. Have you really been up there that long? I think so. That's awesome. Yeah. No. 16, 17 years. I don't remember. That's crazy. 07 is when I started. Weird. And where were you before 07? Before that, I taught <clears throat> high school band down in Tremont, Utah. Okay. Yeah, we drove through there the other day. Uh-huh. And that was fun, too. And you went to Peabody University? Yeah. Peabody Conservatory of Music. It's part of Johns Hopkins University. It's the music, the music school of Johns Hopkins University. So it's kind of like pretty prestigious. Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty prestigious. Yeah. How, how hard is it to get into a school like that? It's pretty hard to get in, and it's just and it's really expensive once you do get in. Okay. And so, um, I wouldn't have gone there except for I got scholarships and got it paid for. So, how do you get scholarships in music? Just be good. Well, they need they need people. They need certain instruments, and so I play an instrument that not that many people play and are good at and so it's a little easier on my instrument to be good if you play the piano you can't get into Peabody and get it paid for because they okay. have so many pianists <clears throat> but they need at least a few tuba players so that they can have a full orchestra and band and so if they don't have anybody then they've got to recruit somebody and that's the situation that happened when I applied so they needed somebody they were you know I was in the right place at the right time and got it paid for. Yeah. And you're to doctorate, correct? Uh-huh. Your doctorate is in tuba. Tuba tuba performance, yep. Tuba performance. It's a doctorate of musical arts. I mean, how, how many of those do a lot of people get? Yeah, a lot of people get them. Um, just because they, I don't know, they, they really love their tuba and they... You know, they're just into that lifestyle. They just, they love school. They love studying music. They love the opportunities that come through school in playing music, classical music. And that's just, you know, a good place to do it. Um, so, yeah, quite a few people get them. Uh, more than there are jobs, to, you know, to oh, okay. for people to do. <clears throat> yeah. So. Uh, it's kind of too bad uh, degrees like that don't exist in in other things like because that's very specific. Yep. You know, a doctorate in tuba, you would know everything there is to know about all the different areas of tuba. Yeah, 
So it's very, very specific. I mean, it is. That's like a doctorate in, I don't know, locksmithing, and then yeah. you'd have to know all the different types of metals and the. I don't know. That's just crazy. It is crazy. The you know <clears throat> the amount of. Uh, it is crazy. If you stop and think about it, but it's it's not just tuba. A lot of it's tuba, but a lot of it is also just general music. You have to, you have to pass some pretty horrendous tests. Twenty hours worth of tests to get your degree so eight hours of that is music history eight hours is, is music theory so that's kind of the academic portion of of doing the degree when you're in academia you have to kind of you're expected to like prove yourself academically as well as what you do in your performance you can be really good at the tuba yeah but just not have a degree and for some people that's it doesn't matter you go out and you can do an audition and win the audition and then you're doing the job but to be in academia you have to kind of you have to get the degree and prove that you're good at the academic side of it as well okay so that that was a lot of it that was just a lot of classes to do that and then just the rest the tuba part was just practicing a lot learning a lot of pieces for the tuba learn you know learning every you know kind of almost everything that was ever written for the tuba you end up encountering it and you were saying the other day the tuba is is actually a pretty young instrument. Yeah. Yeah, in around 1830s the tuba was invented and so composers that didn't that died before then Mozart and Beethoven they didn't write for tuba because it wasn't invented yet. And so they had the valve which is the thing that that allows you to change notes on the tuba or on any of the instruments. Yeah. That was invented in the 1830s and so after that lots of advancements came in the brass world so they could before they could only play certain notes then once the valve was invented they could play all of the notes and then composers started taking advantage of that interesting and before that brass instruments weren't even musical instruments they were just used for signaling like if you were hunting oh yeah like know, a bugle or something mm-hmm. yeah a bugle hmm. it's like you'd heard you'd hear a bugle co- you know a bugle and then you'd be like oh they found animals let's go over there to where we heard that sound Interesting. It's just one of the loudest things that you could produce before electricity. It's like on a brass instrument, you blow blow really hard on it, and it's very loud. Even in wartime, it was used. But then that valve you're talking is where different air is put in to yeah. make different notes. Yep, you can make different notes. And that's when people realized, oh, we could make music, not just signals with this, but music with this. And so composers realized that, and they got creative and started writing for it. And then it got more intricate and you know, more developed. What was the first instrument? Oh, I don't, I don't know what the first instrument was. Probably, probably your voice. Yeah, yeah. And then like percussion instruments, you know, okay, banging rocks yeah. against each other. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about like the the history of music. But most of it we don't know because none of it was written down. And so, you know, it's there's some oral traditions that are ancient. There are there's one there are a few pieces from like ancient Greece, but nobody knows exactly how it sounded. But it's like they know it's music notation. So, um, you hear about the books in Alexandria that got burned. I wonder if some of those were music. Yeah, probably. But you know, even then, nobody knows exactly what you know how to decipher it. It's okay, like a, it's true. like a language, and so you know what we know this is music. But what does this symbol mean? You know, what should it sound like, or what instrument was it written for? What did that instrument sound like? There's really no way to know that. Yeah, that's crazy. 
I wonder how much of history is like that too. You know, we, we interpret something, we have no clue. It's something yeah. totally off. Yeah. We're like, yeah, this was an ancient uh, fertility ritual. And actually <laughs> yeah. it was like how to, how to play kickball. Yeah. How to, how to clean your bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just, you know, in some of this stuff, there's just, there's no way to know. You can, you know, people will write a paper and say, and say, here's what we know and here's how we know it. And so then it's like, everything else is kind of speculation and yeah it may have meant this it may have meant that you know but really nobody knows and then it wasn't till around a thousand ad that written music started happening so music that, that you can actually read okay and so relatively later i mean compared to human history music's been around forever but music that you can read and there's a record of you know it's only been about a thousand years I should have sent you, because we can't do it on the podcast. There's a lady named Lucille Bovine, or Boville. Lucille Boville. I'll show you later. It takes every hip-hop dirtiness that we could ever <laughs> believe, and it was sung in the 20s. Oh, really? I sent it to my brother, and he's like, oh, my goodness. I cannot. I, I can't. It's people have been being nasty forever. It's not just Back modern. Here. We're gonna pause this. <laughs> it's nuts the kind of stuff that apparently our grandparents listen to. Yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, there, there's a piece called Carmina Barana, and it's it's a modern piece, but it, they found a bunch of uh, writings from monks, and it's all really nasty, <laughs> but it's all in Latin. So nobody knows what it means. So you're listening to people sing this music, and it's all dirty talk. And so then you read the translation, and it's uh, it's all racy and stuff. So that that stuff's been going on forever. Oh yeah. And it's ancient monks too. They they, you know, they wrote it down. It what they didn't write it as music. They wrote it as poems. You know, like when you're a kid, you write dirty poems to your friends or something. And yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> they what they were doing. They didn't know that four thousand years later yeah. it was going to be. Somebody writes a piece out of it <laughs> but it's, it's cool music it's really cool it's great music so they took it from a poem form and then put it in yeah music. and it, it's, they made a song they made it into songs basically yeah into things that you would hear but it's in latin so you don't know what it's talking about and it just sounds <laughs> sounds cool yeah it sounds cool and you're like i wonder what that's about that's uh <laughs> i lived in mexico for two years i mean you lived in ecuador for two years um argentina argentina sorry and uh, they'd sing American songs there, you know, some yeah. little eight-year-old girls <laughs> saying stuff that you're like, no, no. <laughs> you don't know what you're you saying. You have no clue. Or there was that Despacito song that yeah, was popular for a while. One. Yeah. Everyone's singing, and I'm like, you guys have no idea. It's <laughs> oh, funny. That's good awesome. stuff. So how long have you played the tuba? Uh, I started when I was 16, so now I'm 46. So I'm, that's, uh, I'm not good at math. Me either. That's why you're a, a tuber professor. <laughs> That's right. So a long time, but I originally started because I thought it would be funny, which it was. It was hilarious. And I didn't I didn't start when I was in junior high like most other people. I started later on. The band teach. I knew the band teacher outside of school, and he said, hey, you should... Uh, I'd had piano lessons, so I knew how to read music. And he's like, you should join the band. And I was like, well, can I play the tuba? And I thought it was the kind that wrapped around you, which is, is a kind of tuba. It's called the sousaphone but it wraps around you and you wear it for marching. 
And so he gave me the regular tuba, which sits on your lap. And I was like, no, I don't want that one. I want the other one that wraps around you. And he's like, okay. So he went and got this old beat up, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I thought was a tuba. And that's what I learned how to play. I put it in the back of my car, took it home, and like learned how to play it. And then just, and then I got to, I got in band class. And he's, and so the, like the first day that I played in the band, he's like, okay, we're going to start off with this piece. So I got it out, looked at the first note, looked at the fingering chart to see what buttons to push down. And then I, he waved his arm. And then I played, and like my sound with the sound of the band, something about that just hmm. lit up my brain. That's cool. You know, every, I think everybody has their thing that lights up their brain, but that for me, I don't know what it was that just. I thought that was the coolest sound ever. And then I got totally lost in the music. I couldn't play anything else after that. But then I realized that, okay, some at some point this is going to end. So I looked up the last note, looked at the fingering chart, did it, and I just watched him. And then when it looked like it was the last note, I started blowing again. Yeah. So the only notes I could play were the first and last. For the <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but it's, to me it sounded so cool. Yeah. Just kind of electric. Just. Yeah, it was just it was just a joke at first, and then it just I don't know. Got all through my twenties and thirties. That's all I did. That's all I cared about. In the meantime, got married, had kids. Mm -hmm. Kind of cared about them. Well, yeah. I'm just kidding. I yeah. mean, professional, yeah, professional, yeah, professional. life-wise. But I just you know, and I knew I was behind, and so I. You know, all the other kids that were that had been doing music since they were young. So I've just I practiced. I knew I had to go practice. I'd been in sports and stuff, in wrestling and track, so I knew, you know, to get good at something, you have to practice it. And so I got to college. I just I was originally going to be a, a history teacher, and then I decided to be a music teacher, a band teacher. So I got to college as a music major, and everyone was better than me. Everybody knew, you know, their instrument already, and they seemed to know all of the music theory stuff, and so I really kind of felt like I had to catch up so I started practicing a lot and just I don't know I had a knack for it I got better and better and then people just people would hear me and they're like wow you sound good and then I people would ask me to play in different groups and I was like yeah heck yeah I'll do it I love I'd love to and so I'd go play in their groups and then the better I got the more people wanted me to play and then people started you know people started offering me money to play not a ton of money but you know, hey, we'll pay for your gas to come play in this orchestra because you have to drive half an hour. So, yeah, okay, get 10 bucks each time. And then and then just got started getting offered to get paid more and more. I didn't realize that, you know, it was going to be turn into that. I was, yeah. was going to be just, you know, I thought I was just trying to catch up, but it turned out I was getting really good at it. So That's really cool. Then it got even more fun and more addictive. Yeah, <laughs> when you even you had said once you got a royalty from a, a, a yeah com a commercial. Yeah, I showed. I used to do these in Salt Lake. They had a, they have recording studios. They're kind of budget recording studios from L.A. If people want to save money um, to make a recording, they'll go. They'll send it to Salt Lake, and it costs a lot less. But I showed up to one of those, and it was a Pam commercial. It took like an hour to record. I got fifty bucks for the hour. And then later that year, the next year, someone was like, hey, there's a check for you at the union office. And I was like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. So eventually I tracked it down. It was 70 bucks. 
I got 70 bucks royalties for being on a Kapam commercial. That's awesome. And I got 70 bucks a year for several years after that. That's so It was, so it was awesome. It was great. Like, who, who does the accounting on this? I, I don't have any idea how any of that works. I'm just good at the tuba. That's all I... That's awesome. <laughs> I, I don't know. How, the, the money <clears throat> thing, you know, that's... I don't know. I've... It's a really. I'm, I'm glad there are people who do it because that's how organizations oh, yeah. exist. But that's not really. I mean, next life goal though, just get royalties. Yeah. Just well, there are some of the richest musicians are the recording musicians. The re, you know people that record Jaws and all of the John William you know all these movies. They get royalties every time that movie plays, and so they they're making a lot of money. You get several of those under your belt, and you're getting checks every year for you know if you recorded Star Wars. I mean. You're getting royalties all these years. Yeah. You know. Well, it's cool, too, because even with all the modern <clears throat> technology and, and, and instruments, you can't reproduce an orchestra. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't sound the same. It would be everyone. Everybody would notice that it's not a real, you know, it's not real people playing, you know, in different different things are okay you know some of these cartoons and stuff it's all synthesized music and it's fine for that but for movies and stuff you know people want orchestral music yeah so it, and it's expensive you have to pay all these people you have to get them all in the same place at the same time pay the studio and you know the union has negotiated the royalties and everything and so that's you know that's how people are able to make a living at it and do it full time if you're not doing it full time then you're you know you're it's hard to be. It's hard to play at that level. Yeah. If you're not playing, you know, kind of as a full-time job all day every day. So, the best players do it professionally. Do it all day every day, and that's they yeah. stay good at it. They stay sharp. You know. So those are the players you want to get. Yeah. It's interesting. Now you were saying some sound, and I don't know if this is just the tuba or if this is other instruments. Uh, they sound different in different countries. Well, there, um, there's a different concept of, you know, how should a tuba sound? You know, if you hear, they use tubas in Mexican music a lot, in mm -hmm. banda music. Yeah. And so, like yeah, uh-huh, and they're awesome. Yeah. I, in fact, I, that's kind of one thing that I've, I want to see if I can learn how to do that, because it's incredible. But they, they have a different... They just blow on it a different way so that they can get a different sound out of it. You can make lots of different sounds on the instrument. It's like a human voice. You can make a lot of different sounds on it. You've got your voice, but your voice can make a lot of variation to it. Yeah. And so the instrument is the same way. You, can, you have a lot of different colors you can do. So they, you know, in that style of music, they choose a different sound or a different color. And so it sounds different. It might be the yeah. exact same instrument. I could get on, their, on that instrument and sound, you know, I... I I'm trained in, you know, classical music, and so I don't sound like them. But for classical music, it's good. You know, they would probably, you know, if, if I were taking lessons from one of those guys, they'd probably be like, no, you need to do it like this. You're not doing it right. Yeah. You know, and the same thing if they took lessons from a classical person, we'd be like, okay, you need to change your sound. You have to just blow on it a little differently, form your mouth on it a little differently. But it all starts in what, you know, in your mind, what are you trying, what are you trying to do? And that's what your body will do. Your body will follow what your mind does. And you can do something called is circular breathing? Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. And so what, what is that? Um, 
you you basically hold air in your mouth and you use that air it's a tiny amount of air but you can use that air to keep playing while you inhale through your nose and so if you know how when you suck on a straw we've got sodas here you suck on a straw and you don't inhale do you or do you I don't know. I was trying to keep air in my mouth. <laughs> do you do you inhale when you suck on a straw? No. Into your lungs? No, you suck it just with your mouth yeah. usually. So that that amount of air is the amount that you have to keep you kind of just blow that out with just your mouth while you inhale through your nose and you keep the sound going. Kenny G did it for like 28 minutes. I think he's got the world record or something. It's crazy. He's a saxophone player. Yeah. Oh yeah. So oh, I I listened to Kenny G <laughs> almost Every Christmas growing oh, yeah. up, the Kenny G special. Yeah, but it's not its not necessary. It's just, I did it, I learned how to do it when I was bored in rehearsal one, you know, yeah. for a few days. He did it for 28 minutes. Yeah, at a concert, I guess. So in that case, he's you're just blowing off the perfect amount of CO2 and yeah, bringing in the right. amount of oxygen? I yeah, mean, you just keep it going. You use that amount that's in just your cheeks and your mouth while at the same time you inhale through your nose. Just And it, you can't... You can't get a ton of air in. It's just little amounts, but yeah. you, do it, you, know, you do it often and you can keep the sound going. So interesting. I've um, only done it, I think, I've only needed to do it one time in a performance. I've done it lots of times in performances just for novelty, just yeah. to be funny, just to see if I could. But there's one, I was playing a flute piece one time and it, it was really long. You had to play just all these eighth notes for several seconds. And I was like, man, this would be cool if I didn't have to break this up, stop, take a breath real quick, and then keep going. I could just yeah. do it. So I learned how to do it on that. And that's the only time I've ever. That's really no cool. No one would ever know that I was doing it. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a novelty. You can be the best tuba player in the world and not know how to do that. But it's just kind of fun. Yeah, that's really, that's really cool. What's uh, your favorite performance that you've ever um, done? Well, one that sticks out, I used to play with the Tabernacle Choir, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. It's not called that anymore. It's called the Tabernacle Choir. But they, nowhere in the world exists a choir of 300 voices that's as good as the Tabernacle Choir. And so, because um, it just takes a huge amount of resources, organization, and, you know, all the people there, they don't get paid. They're volunteers. So how do you get 300 people to show up? Yeah. For years and years to get the amount of training that they have to get as good as they are, you know, it's really hard to do that and to get the same people year after year. And so they, they are really, really good. So we went to this choir director's convention in L.A. one time, and it was at Disney Hall where this performance was, which is where the L.A. Philharmonic plays. And the acoustics in that building are, uh, I don't know what it is about it, but it's it's loud and quiet at the same time. It's just it's you know you can't really describe it but so we had all of these people who really appreciate music that know what choir is supposed to sound like they know what good music is not that other audiences aren't appreciative but this was a particularly you know appreciative audience and they most of them had never heard 300 voices yeah <clears throat> and an orchestra and i was in the orchestra and so the first song we play and we did like three or four performances of it of this uh, concert because not everyone at this convention could fit in the hall at the same time so we had to do it a bunch of times so that everyone would get a chance to hear it so you'd 
and it starts off and I I looked out at the audience when they when the choir when 300 people started singing with like full voice yeah and it just their 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 minds are blown by it they've That's never cool. heard anything like it and it's just it wasn't even like I I wasn't even playing the tuba at that moment I was just yeah. watching them yeah, so yeah. it was kind of like but you know I got to play all you know later on it and it was that was pretty cool. And somebody took a picture of that performance. I have it in my office. Oh, that's really cool. <clears throat> and that was down in L.A.? That was in L.A. Yeah, okay. that was on a tour. They flew us down there. I mean, just the logistics of getting 300. Oh, yeah. You know, it's actually around 500 people with the choir and orchestra. Ten buses. I think we flew on that one, but we've done tours before where it's ten buses of just, I mean, it's crazy. The amount of logistics that go into keeping the choir going. So and the, and it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's when you hear it live. Insane. You hear it on TV and stuff, and it's cool. But to hear it live in an acoustic setting, where it's just where it's not mic'd, they yeah. play a lot in basketball arenas, and it's mic'd, and that's good too. But when it's just the voice directly to your ear, no electronic, it's pretty cool. It's really cool. They do performances in the tabernacle, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Okay. So they that's do, probably... They do a performance every Sunday of the year. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's probably the place to go. Yeah. That, that's a great place to go. You, you want to go... They When they go on tour, they do a lot more kind of secular repertoire. They don't just do church hymns. Yeah. They do some hymns, too, but they do some other stuff, and it's really a good show. It's a great show. It's a great live, live event. Being on tour is really brutal because it's super boring most of the time, but then the the concert is really, you know, high energy. It's so, like a wildland fire. Yeah, yeah. There's like lots of boredom. Yeah. Lots of waiting around, and they feed you really well. So probably like wildland. Yeah. In the best case scenario. Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're lounging around most of the day, eating a ton of food, and <laughs> and then at night you get the excitement, but then you stay up late, and then you're kind of grumpy the next day, and everyone's kind of like, oh, yeah. <clears throat> and then you. Because you have to travel to a different place, get all set up, do a sound check, eat more. It is, and just, then you get to do it again. It is just like wildland. <laughs> yeah, <fire>. that's funny. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, you do other things too, right? Yeah. What do you do? Who's, uh, who's Matt Moore? I like to. Um, I go to CrossFit. I don't know if I like that, but I do go. <laughs> I, love, per- love, I participate. Hate. I, my probably if I had to choose one hobby it would be dirt biking yeah I love doing that I did it all growing up and it just, and then I didn't do it the, my whole 20s and 30s and then after I finished that doctorate degree my kids were all you know once your kids all go to co- go to um, school you have a little bit of time once they're old enough to kind of wipe their own butts they can go to school and kind of manage themselves yeah you have some time to you get some free time back. So I got back into dirt biking and that, I don't know, that lights my brain up too. So I get the same feeling when I'm dirt biking as when I'm playing a good, really good tuba piece. That's cool. So it's kind of a similar thing. Kind of like get in the zone. Yeah. Yeah, you get in the zone and you get, I don't know if it's a euphoria or what, but it's kind of thrilling, but it's also relaxing. And it's, it's just kind of, you know, one of those I don't know how to, you know one of those special experiences yeah. you get to do. That's really cool. I like that. <clears throat> um, 
I like yeah. to shoot guns too. Yeah. yeah oh yeah, you're a tactical. Fun. Yeah. You're a tactical athlete. I'm an athlete. I'm a games athlete. Yeah. I tell everybody I'm a games athlete. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know what it means, but. <laughs> but I go around <laughs> telling it. No, I got to watch you in that uh, one a couple weeks ago at, at um, Phoenix, Arizona. It's it's really cool. It. it it's cool to see such a well-rounded person. I mean, it doesn't seem to me like there's a lot of tuba doctorates walking around, or at least ones that you know are teaching at the university level, and then uh, dirt bike and shoot guns and run and jump and swim and. I have a lot of fun. I live well, a full life. Pretty well-rounded person. I didn't do any hobbies though until I was about forty, because that's when I, f- I finished that doctorate degree when I think I was thirty-eight maybe. And then I got my first gun. That was, for some reason, that's what I wanted to do when I finished the degree. So I, like, my reward was to get a gun. So I bought a pistol. A Kimber, right? No, it's a, it's a Ruger 1911. But it is a 1911. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So I got that. And, you know, then my brother, I got into dirt biking again. My brother, he's like, hey, you should just, I'm going to leave my dirt bike up here for you. And you can take it for a ride if you want. And I went riding with some friends. And man, I was just like, why have I not been doing this? That's cool. <clears throat> so it just, I don't know. But when, you know, all through my 20s and 30s, I loved what I was doing. I wasn't, you know, I just loved playing. I loved being asked to play. I was just, that's that's all I did was just music. And it got, yeah. you know, it got to be taxing and stuff. It was hard. When, I, when my kids were young, it was hard to be gone so much and you you know you can't say no to stuff you have to just keep saying yes or they quit calling you because they're yeah you know when someone's trying to get an orchestra together they don't care who it is they just want to get make as few phone calls as possible yeah so they can be done so if they they're not going to call you if you're not going to answer and if you're not going to call back and stuff so they'll just call someone else yeah so you kind of have to keep saying yes and even when it's not convenient for you so anyway it, it could be it, it got to be a little taxing at times, but yeah. Um, but then I moved up here, and I'm not in a geographic location where I can do that anymore. So, you know, my lifestyle just changed. First, it was really relaxing. It was nice to come home every night and not have to go anywhere. But then it got to be where it was like, man, I, I really missed it. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize I didn't, I didn't have friends before. I never hung out socially before, so I didn't think I had friends. But then I realized all of my friends are at my gigs. I see them all the time. Yeah. And we hang out, we play music. So these are all the people that I know and, you know, associate with. We don't see each other outside of that, but they were all my friends. And so it was, once that was gone, it was kind of, you know, it was a little bit of an adjustment. It was really nice at first, but then it got kind of, got kind of lonesome. So then I had to go off and finish my doctorate. And so that kind of, you know, I was busy doing that. And then after I got back, then it was like, yeah, I've got a little bit of free time here. So, and then my brother took me out on snow machines and got us stranded mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had to hike in, <clears throat> hike in like waist deep snow for a couple hours. And I, I don't know if I thought I was going to die, but I was worried that I was going to die either by, from exposure, from having to stay out all night or just yeah. by having a heart attack from h- hiking through the snow, being out of shape. So then I was like, well, if I'm going to ever leave the house again, I better get in shape. So that's when I started CrossFit. That's cool. Some friends of mine had been doing it. Yeah. Got me into it. It's a good thing to do. It is really good. How's your sister liking it? 
Yeah, she's liking it. We good. We talk every morning after. She they do the same programming at her gym that we do here. Oh, nice. And so it's like, hey, how'd you, you do those wall balls today? Yeah, we did them. I used the fourteen pounder. Blah blah blah. That's cool. And you know, she's. <laughs> I'm so sore. Oh. You're yeah. like, well, I'm five years in. I'm still. Yeah, sore. you still. There are certain. You just. Yeah, I know. I don't know if I'm more sore from doing CrossFit or just, you know, from being out of shape. Either way, you're <laughs> either way you're hurting. So yeah, you might as well be in shape and hurting. Yeah, I would <laughs> love to see my mom come up and do CrossFit twice a week, yoga once a week, yeah. go to a physical therapist. Yeah, once a month. Like that's. You see people getting old, and you're like, you know, it, it is hard. I don't. Can, I honestly don't know how I keep doing it. I don't know how I kept doing it when after I started. Yeah, I wish I knew because I could tell people the secret. But I don't know how I was able to keep going. And now that I'm going, it's like, you know, I'm don't never going to stop. Yeah. Yep. So I don't know. I don't know how I did it, especially that first summer. I started in April, and that whole summer I was sore. The entire summer. Yeah. It was just. And we've, I mean, we've evolved as a gym. Like, we don't really push people kind of like we used to, you know, go heavier, go heavier, go faster. That's changed a little bit, but just in here. Unknown caller. <clears throat> Inherently, you know, you know. Yeah. And I've learned how to scale stuff more. I remember Nani was coaching us one of, one of my first times, and she was trying to encourage me. Shout out to Nani. She was encouraging me. She's like, okay, Matt, we were doing some air squats, and it felt like my legs were ripping. Like, the I could feel the fibers in my legs tearing. She's like, yeah, do a few more, Matt. And I was like, I think I better stop. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and I was so sore. Oh, my word. But now I'm, you know, I'm a little more, you know, I can pace myself a little bit more now that I've done it enough times. Yeah. Uh, going through your your whole music journey, like what would you tell uh, to kids who want to look at that journey as well? <clears throat> well, I would, you know, this isn't the advice that most people give. I didn't, you know, you always hear, okay, you need to have a goal. You need to know where you're going. You need to, you know, have have a clear vision of what you're trying to accomplish. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I don't feel like I followed that path. I just kind of did it because I love doing it. And I think that's maybe one reason why I was able to, you know, kind of, maintain it for a long time I mean I practiced consistently for a, you know every day for years and years I'm not as consistent now I need to be better but um, all those years I just I was gonna I was gonna be a band teacher for high school and you don't have to be that good at the tuba to be a band teacher yeah you need to be good at you know it's a different skill set you need to be good at kind of conducting picking music working with people but I felt like I was behind, so I just kept practicing and practicing and practicing. And then that's when people started, that's when I realized I was pretty good at it and had some aptitude for it. And so then I, I, did, I did a bunch of auditions for professional jobs too, because I was like, yeah, I'd like to do that too. And so I never got any of those. I got close to a couple, but if I would have got one of those, I'd probably be doing that because yeah. I would enjoy that too. <clears throat> Yeah. So I didn't, you know, other than being a band teacher and being good at the tuba, I didn't really have any specific goals. I never said, oh, I want to teach, be a college tuba teacher or I want to be a, you know, teach at BYU-Idaho or where, you know, or wherever. Yeah. I was just like, yeah, I want to get a band somewhere and 
be good at the tuba. That's all I. Yeah. So I guess just, you know, be good at whatever it is you're doing and I guess try to enjoy whatever you're doing. Yeah. Would you have done it any different? No. No, I, I like the way it's turned out. Um, I, I love my job. I've got a great job. It's low stress. Some, uh, I don't know, sometimes the kids can be a little stressful, but if I wasn't doing this, I'd be I'd go back and do high school some more. Actually, yeah. junior high is what I would do. Those kids are... Those kids are nice kids. High school kids re- realized at that age that they don't have to do what you say. So they're, you know, you can say, hey, come over here, and they, they don't necessarily have to. Junior high kids, you say, hey, come over here and grab your instruments. They'll be like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> so they're a little easier to manage, and they're fun to teach, too, because you get, you get, you teach them how to play, you know, a Christmas carol, teach them how to play Jingle Bells at the Christmas concert yeah. in a school gym, and it sounds not great, and... I taught junior high too and high school at the same time. So the parents had come up to you and want to get your picture. Yeah. You know, you feel like a celebrity and all you've done is teach this kid how to play jingle bells and Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they and they feel good about okay. it. You feel good about it. It's a, it's a neat experience for them to to have and that's that's a neat, you know, it's a neat thing. Just a good it's a neat profession, yeah. I think. Well, then every once in a while you get the outliers like uh Ariel Loveland. Yeah. Who's just you know, now she's doing it. Yep. She's the junior high. Yep. She's creating that for and people. Just killing it. Yeah. Just so good. Our kids are both in that in that group and they cool. They love it. Like your your son plays viola. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. 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 She and she does a great job. So she's yeah. creating that for people and it's it's special for kids. Everybody you know, if you anybody I tell, Oh yeah, I play the two, but almost everybody's like, Yeah, I played in band. Even if it uh, yeah. was only for one year, it was just it usually is a pleasant memory for them and some, you know, something that they're glad they did, even if they weren't that good at it, you know, in their mind, they probably were decent at it, but yeah. Um, even if they didn't stick with it and do it professionally or do it all the way through high school, it's, it's always some kind of, you know, a happy, happy situation for them. So it's, it's a neat, it's a neat thing. It's a neat profession, I think. It's really cool. It's awesome. Well, I re- appreciate your time today. I, <clears throat> Every once in a while, I get to pick your brain on it, but just thought it'd be kind of fun to solidify it and go a little bit deeper. Now it's on tape. Yeah, on tape. Crazy. We can send it off to the aliens so they can listen to it. I'm on, probably going to hate the, the way track. my voice sounds on this. Yeah, everybody does. <laughs> yeah, Lincoln, I did it with him the other day. He's like, well, I sound like a girl. I'm I like, should have brought my tuba. That's what I should have done. Yeah. Should have brought it and played some stuff. Yeah. Why am I sitting here talking? Well, let my tuba do the talking. Actually, I won't. I won't publish this yet. <laughs> okay. Let's do that. All It'll right. Be really cool. We'll finish it off with a with a <laughs> <Okay>. tuba. <song. laughs> yeah. Have some intro and some outro music. That's awesome. <laughs> Heck yeah. Okay. I love it. Well, um, I won't publish it yet. So let's within the next couple of days get that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sweet. See you soon. <laughs>